turning now for our instruction to the Word of God, to the book of 1 Kings and the chapter 3. The book of 1 Kings and the third chapter. This is the Word of the Lord. Come let us hear his precious and holy word today. The Lord give us ears to hear and hearts to receive his word this morning. Let us hear the word of God. And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter, and brought her into the city of David, until he had made an end building his own house, and the house of the Lord, and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places, because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statues of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. And Gibeon the Lord appeared unto Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord, my God, Thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered, nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord, that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee in all thy days. If thou wilt walk in my ways, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings, and offered peace offerings, a 
and made a feast to all his servants. Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king, and stood before him. And the one woman said, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house. And I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also. And we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night, because she overlaid it. She arose at midnight and took my son from beside me, while thine handmaid slept, and laid it in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is the dead. And the other saith, Nay, but thy son is the dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman, whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. And the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. This is the word of God. May the Lord be pleased to bless the public reading of his precious word and give us an understanding and application to our needful lives. Well, let us come before the Lord together in prayer, bringing our many petitions and needs before him. But above all, prayer is truly worship. May we worship the Lord as we pray to him and express our love and our gratitude to him in prayer. Let us pray. Well, dear congregation, I invite you now to please turn your prayerful attention to those words that I read to you earlier in your hearing there in 1 Kings chapter 3. We are now in our studies of 1 Kings. After a good while, a few years we could say, we went through First and Second Samuel. Prior to that, the book of Joshua and Judges, and we're making our way through. We're learning week by week from the Word of God, verse by verse. We're seeking to apply God's Word to our hearts by faith. 
And this morning we arrive here in 1 Kings chapter 3, and we are met now with the beginning of the reign of King Solomon. David has passed into glory in the last chapter. He died an old man and died in faith. David's hope was in the Lord, wasn't it? He could say, although it not be so with my house, yet the Lord has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered and sure in all things. And now Solomon, his son, takes up the reign. And it is a marvelous reign, but it is not without its faults. Solomon is very much a type of Christ, just as David was. David was a type of Christ in the sense that he was the conquering king, conquering all of his enemies. We have the Psalm 18, which is reflected also in Second Samuel chapter 22. They're almost parallel. Solomon's reign is a peaceful reign, but he must, as we saw last week, he had to destroy enemies that were enemies to David and to the kingdom that David couldn't deal with. He didn't have the wisdom, David, that Solomon had. Of course, it's a reminder that God does endue and endow various men with various gifts, and we're thankful for that in the church, aren't we? Not everybody is the same, but the Lord has gifted Solomon with great wisdom, and we see that in this chapter. But as we just reflect in our minds of the last chapter, chapter 2, we saw how Solomon, how very swiftly he dispatches with some of the unhelpful characters in David's life. Firstly, there was Joab. Although there was Joab, and he at times seemed to be a help to David, but sometimes he was a real menace to David. Joab, that military commander, seemed to be a law unto himself. At times when David told him not to do something, he went against David's wishes, against David's commandment. Of course, David was the anointed, and uh, Joab was meant to submit to him. And that just really undermined his leadership and authority. And then, of course, the last thing we saw Joab do was side with Adonijah, and he met with him. And then there was the destruction of Adonijah, who really was a menace to David, because remember Adonijah tried to be king, tried to make himself king. But God had predetermined that Solomon should be king, that the Savior would come through King Solomon. And also, even after Solomon gained the throne, David had passed, Adonijah still tried to threaten treason by taking, remember that Shunammite concubine of David's, who David did not know in a physical, in an intimate way. And that was, or would be, one of the ways in which he could lay claim to the throne. And of course, Solomon dealt with him. And he was destroyed. Remember how Adonijah went to Bathsheba and asked for the woman. Well, she was a maid, a handmaid, viewed as a sort of secondary wife to keep David warm. David's now passed. And then there was, of course, Shimei. Remember Shimei, who was of the household of Saul and who falsely accused David of shedding blood 
of Saul's household. Of course, that was a terrible curse upon David. And Shimei cursed David literally with his mouth and said he was a bloody and a murderous man. And that, I suppose, would hang over the house of David and Solomon continuing on in that reign. And he would continue to be a curse if he was allowed to live. But remember how David swore an oath that he would not destroy Shimei. Remember when David was restored back to Jerusalem after Absalom was slain. Well, he was destroyed by breaking his own curse with Shimei. Remember how David kept um, an oath? And should I say Shimei was destroyed by not keeping his own oath? But he made a curse to David earlier. But then when David swore not to destroy him, David kept it, but he himself could not keep his own oath. These men were difficult men, but Solomon makes easy work of destroying them by his own, or the wisdom, should we say, that God gave him. And as we saw even last week, David acknowledged that even at a young and tender age, Solomon had tremendous wisdom. He said, by thy wisdom, deal with him. Deal with Joab. Let not his whore head go down to the grave in peace. The same with Shimei. Well, we come now to this chapter, chapter 3. And one of the things we notice, first of all, and the first point is this. This young king now, Round about 20 years old, as we saw last week. The whole world is beginning to acknowledge Solomon, a great king, acknowledged in all the world. And the first point is this, the world acknowledges King Solomon. And again, King Solomon is a type of Christ. And what do I mean by the world acknowledges? Well, notice how Solomon, he makes an affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Well, the Hebrew word here for affinity is the word chathan, which means to contract affinity by marriage. Now consider it for a moment. Who were the Egyptians? They were once enemies of Israel. But here... Solomon is sought, thought so high of in the world, even by Pharaoh, that he allows him to take his daughter as wife. This is quite something, isn't it? And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David. This was unheard of. As I said, Egypt had enslaved Israel, hadn't they, for Many, many, many years. And they were the enemies. This was extremely unheard of. You see, Solomon already was so esteemed by the world and by Pharaoh. And remember, Egypt was a very, very powerful nation even at this time. And so here we're seeing, and we will see, we know that even the queen of Ethiopia will come and see Solomon and speak of his greatness. And the Lord Jesus Christ refers to that, doesn't he? 
in the Gospels and how he says even the, the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment. But he said, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here, speaking of himself. Of course, Solomon was a type of Christ in terms of his greatness, in terms of his wisdom. Now, we could say the legitimacy of this marriage is questioned, and it has been questioned by many people. Was it right for Solomon to marry this Egyptian woman? Was it permissible for him to marry a foreigner? Well, it was only prohibited. There is a prohibition in the Old Testament, but it had to do with Canaanites, not Egyptians. In Exodus 34, verse 12, you may wish to read there. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest. That was Canaan. Lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee, but ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves, for thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go whoring after their gods. The Canaanites were notorious for false gods, and it was forbade the children of Israel that they could marry them. But it was not forbidden that an Israelite could marry an Egyptian so long, and the scripture rule is always this, in the Lord. If the person was a believer, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 39, the Apostle Paul says, and he's there speaking of marriage, he says, only in the Lord. Now we know Moses married an Ethiopian speaks of Jethro, who was a Midianite, and then Hobab, his father-in-law. Whether these are the same men or two different men, because we, we know that one wife was an Ethiopian, and that was speaks later of Hobab, but Jethro was a Midianite. Maybe the one wife died, we don't know for sure. It could be that Moses married again. It's not quite clear, but that's... Quite a strong possibility because two men are mentioned. Two father-in-laws are mentioned concerning Moses. But he did marry non-Israelite women. That was permissible. and we, have, we wouldn't entertain for a moment that Moses would disobey God's law concerning this. So it was permissible for an Israelite to marry someone who was not an Israelite so long as they were not a Canaanite. Now, this whole rule of marrying only in the Lord is very clear, isn't it? Even to this day in the New Testament, we're told in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? If you're a believer, you're in the light. If you're an unbeliever... The Bible says you're in darkness. The issue is not race. We believe that there's one race. It's the human race. We all come from Adam. The difference is whether we're in Adam or we're in Christ. If we're in Christ, we're a new creature. We belong to the kingdom of God. We're children of light. 
And if you're a believer, you only marry in the Lord. The command is, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So what is the status of this woman? Is she a believing person? Is she born again? Well, we don't really know. The scriptures are silent with regards to this Egyptian woman. We don't know. But whatever the case, we know later on Solomon did marry a strange woman. We have that in 1 Kings 11. It says there in verse 1 of 1 Kings 11, But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, and so on. And we know that these women led to Solomon giving himself to the service of false gods. And that was wrong. Well, whatever the case with Solomon, let us understand this. Whether or not this marriage was legitimate, whether she was a believer or not, we must remember, in a faint way, Solomon is a foreshadowing of Christ. In what way? Well, consider it here, as I said, Egypt now sees the greatness of Solomon. And in a sense, we know concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, even how the nations will come to him. Think of how he makes an affinity here with Egypt. But what about the Lord Jesus? We have the picture there in Psalm 68, the Gentiles coming to Christ's kingdom, don't we? Psalm 68, you may wish to turn there with me, verse 31. This marriage, in some sort of way, we can see it sort of symbolically setting forth the many kingdoms of the world coming to Christ. Although what Solomon did here was morally wrong, marrying all these foreign women. But there is some setting forth of the kingdom of Christ. Psalm 68, verse 31. Princes shall come out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. Sing unto God, ye kingdoms of the earth. O sing praises unto the Lord. Selah. Now men out of this world come to Christ not just because of the power of his spirit at work in him, but when we come to Christ, do we not see the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, if we're Christians here today, do we not say that our king is great? He is the king of all the earth, the judge of all men. He is the king of kings. And so there set forth in Psalm 68, verse 31, the Gentiles coming to Christ's kingdom. And then again in Psalm 72, verse 8, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea. Consider, first of all, Solomon's dominion. But that psalm was a psalm for Solomon. If you read Psalm 72, it's a psalm for Solomon, pointing Solomon to the greater king that was to come. Psalm 72 is a lovely psalm to study concerning Christ. And he shall have dominion also from sea to sea, not speaking of Solomon, and from the river unto the ends of the earth. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. 
Yea, all kings shall fall down before him, and all nations shall serve him. That could only be said in the truest sense of Christ, pointing to the great Lord Jesus Christ. Something else. Secondly, now, we see Solomon's worship. It it is imperfect. We've got to understand that. Solomon, we're told here, loved the Lord. But Solomon, while he is a type, he is imperfect as a man. Notice, as we read on in the text, 2 Kings 3, And Solomon made an affinity with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Now notice, only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Now notice this, only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. The Holy Spirit there is making a very notable point and comment about Solomon. It was wrong to worship in high places. This is never, never sanctioned in the word of God. And in fact, those high places is where a lot of idolatry took place much later on. Forbidden. Now, this is not good. These high places are not sanctioned in the word of God. It's also what the pagans did. They worshipped in high places, in the groves. And it's the place where Things were introduced into worship that never should have been there. Idols, images. Now, however well intended Solomon is here, it was terribly damaging to Israel in the long term. This is not a good thing. The worship of God should be according to his word and not to our own imagination and our own inventions. In 2 Chronicles, you may wish to turn there, Chapter 14, we see how Asa, who was a godly king, who was good and right, and did that which was right in the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord. We read verse 2, 2 Chronicles 14, 2, And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, for he took away the altars of the strange gods, Notice, and the high places. This is commended. High places were taken away. And break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord and so on. So you can see that's commended of the Lord. These high places are not acceptable. Later on, Jehoshaphat, he destroys the altars, but he doesn't take down the high places. That was wrong. There are many other references. I won't weary you with this. But you notice there was a high place at Gibeon. And verse 14, And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. For that was the great high place, and a thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. Now friends, it's not so much the quantity of sacrifices, is it? But it's, are we doing what is pleasing to the Lord? 
It might be very impressive here, all these many offerings, but the high places were forbidden by God. They were not sanctioned by the Lord. If you notice in Second uh, Chronicles 1, 3, we read, So Solomon all, and all the congregation with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon, for there was the tabernacle of the congregation of God. Now this is interesting. The, the ark is actually in Jerusalem, as we'll see in verse 15 here of this chapter. But the tabernacle was where? At Gibeon. That's what it says in Second Chronicles 1.3. And these two should have been together. The ark should be where? In the tabernacle, in the most holy of holy places. That was the proper place. And so things weren't right here. Second Chronicles 1.3. So Solomon and all the congregation with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon, for there was the tabernacle of the congregation of God. But the problem is they went to the high place. This was never sanctioned in the word of God. There was no need for the high place. And later on, we see the effects of it. That was the place where idols were worshipped and in the groves. Dear friends, we need to be very careful about images in worship. It's a terrible thing. And, and the way we worship God. I remember years ago when we belonged to an association of churches and uh, the overhead projectors started to come out, you know, and songs were projected on the overheads and uh, hymn books were considered sort of old practice and something archaic. I'm glad somebody said the other day, Pastor, I hope we never get an overhead projector. And I, I thoroughly agree with that because there are many reasons for it. Very often when uh, people are praising, if there's an overhead projector, the hands are up in the air and people are doing all kinds of things. But what if you want to turn to a, a verse that you've just been touched by in the hymn and it's gone off the overhead? And there's something that is um, somewhat irreverent, I think about overheads. And, that. and I remember this discussion amongst various pastors as to where to have the next meeting. And the one pastor said, well, our overhead is bigger than yours. You know, that you, you have that sort of mindset. Our church, even, you could say, is bigger than yours. Our church has got better stained glass windows. Our church has got better aesthetics. My friends, we, we've got to be very careful that we're not worshipping aesthetics. God is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And with simplicity of heart, not things that will distract us. So we've got to be very careful. Why these high places? Well, they weren't sanctioned by God. And what did it lead to? The worship of idolatry things, terrible things. Well, what, Solomon wasn't perfect, as we will see, but he did ask for wisdom. He was a wise man. And we'll look at what he asks for. We'll consider what else he could have asked for. He didn't ask for a perfect thing. He asked for a very good thing. 
And a very wise thing to ask for wisdom, as we will see, wise men ask for wisdom. It's always the way. Fools don't ask for wisdom. And if they do, they don't really mean it. But Solomon does. Not a perfect man, but we will see and we trust we'll learn from his flaws. Wisdom asks for, verse 5, and fifthly, we see, in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give thee. Well, this is not the norm in Scripture, is it? It's not the norm. Remember the two disciples that came to our Lord Jesus, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and they came to the Lord, and even their mother came with them. And uh, they said, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? The Lord didn't commit himself, did he, until he found out what they really wanted. But that's not the case here with Solomon, is it? And why is this? Well, the Lord had created enough wisdom in Solomon so that he asked for wisdom. And the Lord is even pleased with his asking. You see, the difference is this, that Solomon saw the value of wisdom. And wise men do. Wise men see the value of wisdom. This is what Solomon saw. And uh, what is the first part of wisdom? The fear of the Lord, isn't it? Proverbs 1.7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so there is knowledge, but knowledge isn't the same as wisdom. You can have knowledge, you can know many things, but wisdom is to know how to apply that knowledge, isn't it? It's being wise with the knowledge that you have, and it's walking wisely. Proverbs 23, verse 9, Speak not in the ears of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. Fools despise wisdom, and they despise wise words. But Solomon knew, as being already wise, as we've picked up in the last chapter, what to ask for. And the Lord knew that he would ask for this. Nothing is hidden from God. God wasn't surprised when he asked for these things, you see. So that's important. And let's just say a few things. Knowledge is good. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1, knowledge puffeth up. Bare knowledge makes a man very proud, doesn't it? The Pharisees had a lot of knowledge. They, they knew the Scriptures. But knowledge itself can, can make a man very proud. If we simply come along to learn, what are you learning for? Oh, to get more for myself. And what does that do? It just induces pride in you. It works pride, doesn't it? The reason we come is for God to be glorified in our lives. The reason we learn is not for our own glory. And you'll see this in Solomon's asking here. He asks not for his own glory. He asks that he might be a blessing to the people of God, that he might be a godly leader. 
And you'll see, I trust, it's the same in our lives. If we simply come to the Word of God and we come to church, just for ourselves, we'll live a rather empty life. That's not why God has made us. God has made us for himself and to be a blessing to other people. Didn't the Lord say that to Abraham, that Abraham would be a blessing? Didn't the Lord say that of David, that he served his generation? Oh, we are to serve, not ourselves. We don't come for our own glory. Our changed lives are not meant to glorify ourselves. This is the whole point. You see, wisdom is the discipline of putting to practice what you have learned for the glory of God. Can I say it another way? I don't know. But it's the discipline of putting to practice what you have learned or are learning for the glory of God and for the good of men and for your own soul. You're really putting yourself last. You're putting God first. You're putting other men next, and then you're putting yourself last. It's good for your soul. Something else. In Solomon's asking, he first of all mentions, and this is really important, the covenant love of God toward David, his father. And he sees this as the basis in which God deals with his people. Look at this in verse 6. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. When he looks back over his family life, and especially his father David, he sees that it was all based on mercy. And my friends, that's what salvation is. Salvation is based on mercy, isn't it? God deals with us not because somehow we are better than others but on account of his mercy. According as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee, and thou hast kept for him this great kindness. Solomon saw that this was a kindness that David didn't deserve. David certainly wasn't a perfect man, we have seen that. And thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. He sees that even of a kindness to his father David, to fulfill that covenant promise. And so Solomon saw all of God's dealings with David and himself as an act of divine mercy. And you you, you know, I'm telling you this, unless we see our lives like that, we are never going to know true knowledge. We're never going to know wisdom. Unless we humble ourselves and say, look, I don't deserve anything. We'll never know grace. We'll never know God's wisdom and grace in our lives. Well, even when Moses interceded before and on behalf of the people who had sinned against God in Numbers 14, 19. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy. It's all of God's mercy, isn't it? Now, something else, fourthly, notice Solomon's God-centered request. Verse 7, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child 
I know not how to go out and to come in, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. He says, I am but a little child. And the God-centered request is that he may have wisdom, that I may know how to lead thy people. Thou hast made thy servant king instead of my father. But I'm a little child. He confesses his ignorance and his utter inability. This is godly humility, isn't it? And you know, it ought to be for us. Solomon, we've got to understand, is somewhere around 20 years old. But some young men at 20 years old think they know everything. Solomon says, but I am but a little child. I know not how to even go out or come in. My friend, how humble are you? Do we realize we can't do anything aright without God? Well, we can do things, but do we do them right? We need humility. Just as Solomon had humility here, although he was already exceedingly great, he saw himself notice it as a child. Even though Pharaoh is acknowledging him, and the nations already are starting to take notice of this mighty young man, he says, I am but a little child. You see, here he had a sense of the awesome responsibility that God had given him, and to protect these people. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people. Oh, friends, do we see ourselves as servants to God? That's the thing. We're not self-serving. We're not the master. We are the servants to the master. And that's really where we need to always think in all of our lives, don't we? We serve one who is our master. You see, Solomon, he's not flippant about his leadership. Oh, I can do it. Look at all the decisions I've made already. Gung-ho, proud. But there is a godly asking. There's a humble asking. Look at verse 9. Therefore, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. Who is able to judge this so great a people? He says, not it, nobody. I need thee, O Lord. Give me, what does he say, an understanding heart to judge. He wants wisdom. He wants discretion. That he will be a godly leader. Now, we're told in verse 10, we come now to the asking, pleasing the Lord, fifthly. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. That's a question to to ask ourselves. Does our asking in prayer please the Lord? Well, Solomon's did. Does our asking please the Lord? Although it wasn't, I can show you here, Solomon didn't ask the perfect thing. Solomon didn't ask for a sinless heart. That's surely something he could have asked for. He could have asked for a godly heart, He asked for a discerning heart. Solomon was granted great wisdom. But we know this, and by the way, you will see there's a connection. There is a a, a thing that God promised him that he would have lengthened days if he walked after God's commandments. But you know, Solomon didn't live long. 
Solomon, it is believed by the Jews, died at only 58. We believe somewhere around 60 years old. We have that in 1 Kings 11. He lived a short life. Solomon did not walk in all the commandments of God. Solomon was wise. But wisdom is not everything, friends. You you can be wise, but still have a sinning heart. You hear what I'm saying? We can always improve on our asking. But nevertheless, what he asked for was good and what was right. And it says, and the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. What did he ask? To judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. But as we know, Solomon, while he had discernment, Solomon had many things in his life that were dishonoring to God. Many. Including, as we've already seen, this worship of high places that were not sanctioned by God. Now we must remember that the Scriptures tell us that sometimes we receive not because we ask amiss. Remember what James says. From whence do wars and fightings come among you? Come they not hence even from your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have. And so on. He says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. Sometimes we ask amiss and the Lord's not pleased to give it. What Solomon asked for was good and upright but he could have asked for more. That is most certainly the case. And God would have given it to him. In John 14, 13, the Lord Jesus said, And whatsoever ye ask in my name, that will I do. Now, it's very important to remember those words. Whatsoever ye ask in my name, is not simply naming the name of Christ, and then you're going to receive it, okay? That's folly. But you ask in accordance with the character and the person of Christ. And according to his will, that's truly what it is to ask in his name. Does it please him? Now the things Solomon asked for pleased the Lord. Well, we would add this again, he could have asked for more. And let me say this, we, we never can ask too much, can we? God would be pleased to give it. It's just sometimes our hearts are not set on those things that we should be asking for. That's the problem with us, isn't it? We don't ask for the things that are really important. I mean, it was important that he asked for wisdom and discernment and judgment to lead the people. He had a great burden. But friends, what about his own heart? What about a perfect heart? What was Paul's desire? Oh, that I might know him. That I might know Christ. That I might be conformed to him. Not just be a wise person, not just be a powerful person, but as you might be a godly example to other people. You see, it begins in your own heart, doesn't it? Solomon, he was most wise, as we will see. But he was also quite foolish in some ways. And that's all of us, isn't it? To one degree or another. Some people say, well, I... I want to be wise to be happy. I want to be wise to be wealthy. Well, if that's all you want, you're not going to be happy. 
You want to be wise so you can glorify God in your life. You want the kind of wisdom that is from above, that is first peaceable. And the, the wisdom that glorifies God in the life, surely that should be at the heart of all of your asking and my asking. The glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God. Not your own glory, my friend. Young people, what are you doing with your lives? Are you doing it for the glory of God? Because if you're not, you're going to be miserable. You might be the next prime minister, but I'll tell you, you'll be miserable. You'll be miserable without God, without living to his glory. Well, verse 11, And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life. See, he didn't even ask for long life. Neither as thou asked riches for thyself, nor as thou asked of thine life of thine enemies, but as asked for thyself, understanding to discern judgment, Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee. It's even spoken of here in the past. Before thee, neither shall thee shall any arise like unto thee. Solomon would be given, and has been given now already, a wise and understanding heart. But there's an additional gift, as I said earlier, that is not asked for. And I've also given thee that thou shouldest ask that thou, which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And that's true. There was never a man like Solomon again. Great riches, even hundreds and hundreds of years after he was long gone, they were still finding the riches in Solomon's mines. Now notice, there's a conditional promise that I alluded to just a moment ago, verse 14. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. But as I said already, Solomon didn't live very long. He died relatively young. He reigned for 40 years, and now he's about 20 years old, some say younger. So he'd have died somewhere around 60 years old. The Jews think much younger, 58, 59 years old. So it was not given to him. The Lord would have lengthened his days. Of course, the Lord, everything is in his hands anyway, isn't it? But we know when you read in 1 Kings the, the things that Solomon did, although he had great wisdom, Sadly, he didn't always apply it to his own heart. He took some things into his own hands, didn't he? But we do see nonetheless here wisdom in this passage. Solomon awoke, verse 15, and behold, it was a dream. Well, this is not something he imagined, but God did really speak to him. We're told, aren't we, in Hebrews chapter 1, God at sundry times and in divers manners spake unto the Father's in time past, unto the fathers by the prophets, in divers manners, in many ways, God spoke. But notice, here is a situation that comes forth, and we see here wisdom demonstrated by a real case of two women, who are harlots, by the way, 
And uh, we could say great sinners in the eyes of the world. Verse 15b, And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all the servants. And there came two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. Now consider the situation. Here are two women, harlots. Women who are engaged in an immoral lifestyle and way of earning money. Could they be trusted? Can you trust either of these women? Immoral? No morality before God? And what's the argument? One woman says, we dwell in a single house together. I bore a child three days later. This other woman bore a child. And there we were laying one night with our children, our babies, and uh, fell asleep. And the one woman, well, says that, verse 19, that she overlaid her child. She slept on top of her child so that it died. And then she swapped her child with my child that was living. Verse 20, and she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me and while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. She, she says she swapped the child and then in the morning when I woke up, I considered this, this isn't my son. This isn't my child, the dead child. It's not the same child. And so the case is brought before Solomon by these two women. And then the king Listening to these cases, verse 24 says, Bring me a sword. And they brought the sword before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one, and half to the other. Then spake the woman, whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divided. It seems that this second woman, not the real mother, doesn't really care about the life of the child. You see, Solomon's wisdom concerning humanity far excelled others. Solomon could see right through the situation, through this judgment that he made. He understood, and really what you have in this situation here is both hearts are actually exposed. The first thing we observe here is that as soon as Solomon said, cut the child in half, the real mother comes forth and says, no, don't harm the child. You see, Solomon understood that a parent's love goes out to the child and is prepared to even be separated from the child for the sake of the child. But as soon as, by the way here, the other woman exposes her heart too and says, no, don't worry about it. Just cut the child in half. I'll have half, she'll have the other half. There's no heart in the other mother. You not see that? Hearts are exposed. The woman exposed their own hearts before the Lord. Well, it 
showed here the wisdom that Solomon had. His wisdom of humanity far above his years. The Lord gave him that wisdom. And so Solomon, you see, he knew that the liar would soon expose herself. Verse 27, then the king answered and said, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And you notice the result of all of this, this this one incident. I mean, here's the dilemma. You've got two women involved in immoral, an immoral lifestyle. Who do you trust? How do you get to the heart of it? How do you prove? There is no witness there. But here is exposed the hearts of men in a very simple way. And if Solomon is wise, how much more the Lord Jesus Christ, who is greater than Solomon, who knows the hearts of all men. The Lord Jesus knows everything. There's nothing hid from him, from his eyes. And you see, the result in all Israel heard the judgment which the king had judged, verse 28, and they feared the king. You know, they thought, here is this young man who has such a piercing insight into people. We're afraid. We can't deceive him. He's no fool. What does it say? And they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of Solomon, but the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Yes, that was the wisdom. Now, as we close, just a few things. Christ is our wisdom. If Solomon was wise, and if one came into this world and said, a greater than Solomon is here, is Christ not our wisdom for life? What is life? The Lord Jesus said this, friends, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You get more blessing out of life pouring yourself into people's lives instead of sucking out out of people. What does God do every day? He causes his sun to shine on the just and the unjust. Same as the rain. God is ever happy. God is ever good. Whatever wisdom we ask for should never terminate on ourselves. Whatever blessing we want from God is to glorify his name and to bless other people. Don't ask for wisdom to simply get through life. But ask for wisdom to glorify God in your life. Because that is a far more blessed life. Solomon asked for wisdom to judge the nation. But you know what? He didn't ask for, and it's not a criticism, it's simply an observation. He didn't ask for a pure heart. He asked for wisdom. What he asked for wasn't wrong. But let me say this. There are so many other more important things that you and I can ask for if we just do a little bit of thinking, if we do a bit of soul searching, if we do a bit of examination. 
Paul said that I might know him, Christ, that I might know God. Not just the wisdom of God, but God in my life, in your life, that I might live like God, holy. That's what I must ask for. That's what you must ask for. If you're just asking for comfort and happiness in this life, friend, that's what a lot of worldlings have. And it goes no further than that. This is eternal life, said the Lord Jesus Christ, to know thee and thy son, to walk in his ways, to delight yourself in God. The difference is David delighted in God. Not just simply wisdom. But he delighted in God. He delighted in his law. Christ is our wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30 But of him are ye in Christ, Jesus who is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. What's that? A changed life. And redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Something else, the wisdom of his cross. Do do you glory in that? What are you glorying? Paul said, God forbid that I should glory in anything else, save the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you glory in that? Do you glory in his person? Do you glory in the one who we're told in Proverbs 8 is wisdom? Read Proverbs 8. speaks all of Christ. It's pointing to Christ who was before the Father. Daily was I his delight, he said. And my delights were with the sons of men. You delight in the person of Christ. You see, the Lord, my friends, delights when we delight in him. Not just simply wisdom. Real wisdom is to delight in the one who is wisdom. And to remember that even he who could say, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head yet, but he was happy. Would you say you could be happy without even a home? My friend, the Lord Jesus, although he created heaven and earth and everything, he was happy because he always did that which pleased his Father. That's life. To glorify the eternal God. Solomon was wise. But friends, a pure heart, surely, and a pure life, devoted to God, is real wisdom. May God give it to us. Should we ask for it? Let us ask with all sincerity of heart. Amen.